It is Friday, February 12th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us today for the final episode in our What I Got Wrong series is the lead fantasy analyst for Pro Football Focus. He's the host of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. You probably already follow him on Twitter, at iHarditz, even if just for the video clips of players. Ian Harditz, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, I've been doing the video clips for years, but this is the first year I figured out how to put NFL primetime music in the background. So old, an old dog can learn some new tricks. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about uh, some of the misses from last year. It's always good to retrace our steps, and I got some doozies. I'm not just saying this because Ian's on the pod here, but he, he might be the best follow on Twitter because you, you get the good football content, you get some humor, and then you get you get the random like Charlie Garner was a was a beast back in uh, 1995. Check out these highlights. I, I freaking love it. I don't know how you come up with this stuff. You, you, you get that. I've had a couple of glasses of wine and maybe smoked a little something. I'm watching Charlie Garner <laughs> highlights at 1 a.m. Yeah, I like to, you know, it's football freaking 24-7 with me. I mean, we're obviously as you guys too. It's February 12th and we're about to dive in here again. So, you know, people that have time for these other sports and stuff, it, it's just not me. So, yeah, man, Charlie Garner and all those folks, they need some uh, love too. So why not? That's right. I only wish Charlie Garner's um, ability had been fully realized before he left Philly and got to the Raiders. No doubt. No doubt. I did not realize when I scheduled this that we'd be going up against Trevor Lawrence's pro day. So an especially <laughs> big thank you to anyone who's tuning into us over live coverage of Sunshine on there right now. Of course, uh, the way those things tend to go, we might wrap this thing up before he's even done throwing swing passes. Ian, how focused are you on prospects, incoming rookies at this time of year? Oh, not at all at the moment. I mean, I, I think I think we waste just a little too much time. Not not waste, but so much of every single rookie is going to come down to where they go and what round they're drafting. And we see this year after year after year. But because we have February, March, April with no live football, we feel the need to really just, I mean, overreact. Look, it's good to have priors with these guys. Like, you want to know who they are. Obviously, I'm not saying we can't uh, dive into the prospects in February, but just really be ready to, you know, change your rankings around. Because for every guy that, you know, you think you really have their talent figured out ultimately it matters what the team that drafts them thinks not what we think so this is the first year for the past two years i've been diving hard into xfl aaf so i gotta get my process down uh, for these prospects for sure again i'm not saying ignore them but you know right now particularly i'm going through every single team looking at you know just the free agents the cap space uh looking ahead to 2021 on the pff fantasy football podcast i'm having a different beat right around from a different team for the next 32 days to try to go through that so i found after the season reset look at the rosters we have free agency in march and still have plenty of time for the prospects so i know it's tempting to just go back and dive into that college film right away and maybe i'm just you know making excuses for myself not working hard <laughs> enough to do so but I, I really do think it doesn't really hurt to wait a little bit on that and then again just be really ready to change those rankings once you find out where they go because at least in fantasy land opportunity is pretty much the only thing that matters and uh you know obviously we're not gonna have any idea what that looks like until after april 27th or so I'm sure it doesn't hurt that you can just toss an elbow at Mike Renner at some point too and be like, hey, Mike, how good is this guy really? Exactly, man. Mike's a good guy. He's, uh, yeah, it's been great at PFF, man. Some of the stuff we have uh, behind the scenes, but specifically PFF Ultimate, man, it just saved me so much time. So many, uh, you know, CSV downloads uh, turned to pivot tables later. It's just made my life a lot easier. So, Mike, the whole PFF gang and all the, uh, you know, behind the scenes tools we got, they're great that they, uh, they make our lives a lot easier. And I'm sure all the uh, NFL teams that get to use them as well are pleased. Yeah, we'll hit you up with freebies after this. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, 
very jealous of the access you have there. Um, and yeah, the, the, the team offseason previews have been good. I listened to the Lions one. Um, and you had our guy, Mike Chopin, for your Bills preview. That, that's next on my to do list after we pod here. Yeah, he's saying that Smokey Brown uh, might be a cap casualty, man. Yeah, really, Gabe, nearly broke Gabe my Davis. heart. Gabe Davis time. He's fine. You got Beasley and Diggs. I get it. I mean, I'm not saying they need to keep John Brown, but he's someone that, man, like he came out in 2019, really broke out. I know he had some good years with the Cardinals and even the Ravens, honestly. But, uh, you know, someone that I think I've always uh, treated as a wide receiver one. Now Diggs kind of came in and overshadowed him, even Beasley uh, to some extent. But, hey, you know, when Smokey Brown's healthy, that dude's been a baller really for the last uh, five, six years. So hopefully he figures out, but nothing against Gabriel Davis. Even Isaiah McKenzie, man, the bill. Like, I remember, again, I was just talking, at, like, start every offseason going through these rosters and stuff. And I remember last year, I mean, in February this time, looking at it, and it was the Bills and the Steelers were the two teams. I was like, shit, if they can just add, you know, even a piece or two. But even then, like, we're looking at two of the most complete teams in the league. And looking at the Bills going to next year, like, go find a cornerback to play across from Tredavious White, continue to invest in that offensive line. But otherwise, man, they are stacked once again. Hopefully we get, you know, a more competitive version of that Chiefs-Bills AFC Championship again next season. So we asked you, of course, primarily to reflect back on some of the calls from 2020 that didn't work out. So let's jump into those guys now. Aaron Rodgers has come up in previous shows in this series. Tell me about your particular uh, 2020 experience with Rodgers, though. Yeah, man. What the hell, Aaron? Where did did this come from? I mean, you just look at it, and I understand Rodgers has been a great to amazing to the best quarterback we've ever seen over the past decade. He even said, you know, throughout he was on Pat McAfee show every Tuesday throughout the year and every single time it was fantastic. But one of the things he brought up early on was that a down year for him is still a career best year for someone else. But at least in fantasy land, we really did see him on a downward trajectory. I mean, the dude from 2009, 2016 only had two seasons with fewer than 20 fantasy points per game. And then he had fewer than that mark in each of 2017, 2018 and 2019 career low 17.5 four fantasy points per game in that 2019 season. And then look, the one thing I guess I overlooked and should have paid more attention to is the second year in a system. And you look at Roger specifically, he's someone that, I mean, I remember in that Cowboys game in 2014, where they literally drew up the play, like in the huddle when he was end up throwing to Jared Cook. Like he's been playing playground ball for almost his entire career. So maybe I could have, you know, Nostradamus the thoughts and been like, okay, you know, maybe he will get the most out of him, you know, in the actual system and continue to have that off script goodness that we've seen throughout his career. I did not. And because of that, I focused more on the fact that I didn't add anyone to the same offense he had been in the previous year, other than freaking Devin Funches who ended up opting out anyway. So I think it's, uh, you know, for me, it's a, another lesson that uh, continuity really matters in, uh, you know, NFL life and all that. And it's particularly with learning an offense and, you know, Hey, guys can get better. Marquez Valdez Scantling is someone that, yeah, we make fun of the drops, but the guy also led the league in yards per reception already had Devonte Adams there. And when you have a true number one, that good, you can see how uh, he can elevate the other guys around them. So Rogers, you know, yeah, the, the trends were looking downward, but one trend that was looking positive for him was continuity. And I really didn't give that enough respect in hindsight. I think, too, this season is a reminder that even these future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they're prone to peaks and valleys in touchdown rate. You know, Rodgers had his two lowest passing touchdown rates in 2018 and 2019, 4.2, 4.6%, which honestly is right about league average. But for him, it was, you know, again, his two lowest. He spiked to a career high 9.1% touchdown rate this past season. So, you know, again, he's prone to peaks and valleys. He just had a peak that's very likely to regress in 2021. So, you know, I, I'm not sure where Rogers ADP is going to settle in, in drafts this summer, but he's probably a guy I'm going to be lower than consensus on. 
Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, we always love to shout from the mountaintops uh, regression with anytime anyone has a good year, but it's not so much like he's going to play worse. But yeah, to your point, it's just hard to be. It's hard to set a new career high in whatever stat's going to be year after year after year. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing with these quarterbacks, man. So many of them were just putting up ridiculous points this year. I think it was a new uh, like 10-year high in terms of quarterbacks who average at least 20 fantasy points per game. But yeah, you know, we're not going to see uh, these dudes go 9% uh, plus year after year after year. Maybe he'll get the volume increase to kind of make up for it but you know maybe uh maybe they could give him a spare wide receiver too i mean it's not illegal to you know have more than one good wide receiver uh in the offense with all due respect to mvs so yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you jared I'm, I'm not exactly gonna be uh you know trying to completely write this uh wrong next year particularly if his adp is up there with the top three four quarterbacks as we expect yeah, I think most of us know at this point that TD rates like that are not going to be repeated. He's at, at QB9 right now in early ADP, so I think even everybody is kind of reacting to that, knowing he's not going to be at that peak, but have him a little bit higher than last year. For me, the yeah. bigger takeaway is not necessarily Rodgers, but it's kind of a reminder at quarterback to watch for that guy, that proven quarterback that's going maybe just outside the top 12, but isn't dead yet you know it doesn't look like he's actually gone off a cliff where we could get him at this low price and maybe capture some of that touchdown luck that it, it's not foreseeable but you can see that he's in a situation that might pay off Matt Ryan's kind of the poster boy for that because he's up and down every year in production where if you get him outside the top 12 he delivers you get him inside the top 12 he disappoints he might be an early candidate for that mantle this year he's qb 15 and early adp and i mean when we draft matt ryan outside the top 12 is when he has tended to pay off for us in, the, in recent seasons yeah i like that call i see uh let's see baker and kirk cousins seem like they're a little too far down the lens i know these adps will you know kind of straighten out a little mm -hmm. bit uh closer to the season and all that uh but yeah no i think that matt ryan call is very good and the things i i, I think we can expect a more play action heavy offense uh with the falcons now obviously you know Tannehill floors in this very same system we saw that and you know with ridley and julio we got plenty of firepower and you know one thing we should pay more attention to as well and we saw this with russell wilson and dak prescott in the early parts of the year is you know having a terrible defense for your quarterback really helps in fantasy and gets them in a lot of shootouts and that certainly fits the full with Matt Ryan as well only other late round QB doesn't exactly fit you know his mold but whoever ends up winning that job with the Saints guys is going to be fantastic whether it's Taysom Jameis even if some wild card comes out of left field uh yeah I'd say whoever wins that Saints job Matt Ryan late round QB season still alive I want to like Matt Ryan in drafts right now my <laughs> only concern is whether Atlanta drafts a quarterback at four We've seen, even if they draft someone like Trey Lance, who, you know, supposedly is more of a project, these guys that get drafted high end up playing. So I think there's, there's a chance that, you know, Ryan is, is booted at some point this season. I wonder too, if there's any chance Russell Wilson gets a little bit of that Aaron Rodgers treatment. You know, he, he finished the season so disappointingly. He's getting up there in age. He's not, you know, he's not Rodgers age yet, but um, I wonder if his ADP, you know, turns him into a value at some point in drafts. It'll be something to monitor at least. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with Russ, it almost happens like every year where he slides back down that QB10 mark, and then we just see him continue to put up this bonkers efficiency. The whole Russell Wilson taking sacks thing has been a little bit overblown. I mean, okay, I guess he didn't even sound like in the interview that he was like necessarily not taking the blame for taking those sacks in the first place. He just said he shouldn't be 
being sacked 400 times in his career seems like a fair enough thing. They have not spent any money on the offensive line. I understand Russ takes a lot of sacks on his own, but so does Deshaun Watson. So is Patrick Mahomes from time to time. I mean, these quarterbacks that are that good creating off script when the play breaks down, they might probably do that a little more than they should because look at the freaking magic they pull out of their ass half the time when they do try to make that work. So, yeah, it's easy to point, you know, pull up the one clip where there's an open guy underneath or in the in intermediate areas and say, oh, Russ, why do you throw this guy? Well, I don't know. He probably just threw a ball 50 yards downfield in between two defenders the previous drive that is massive, you know, DK Metcalf wide receiver one or Tyler Lockett wide receiver two. Like, we have seen this dude pull freaking pull off anything over the years. And, you know, we, it's easy to sit back now and say, oh, he takes too many sacks. But it's it's one very small negative for the otherwise extremely positive Russell Wilson package. And I think, uh, you know, people shouldn't forget that. Because, look, when I understand you shouldn't be letting like a wide open guy just not get him the ball. But if you're truly under pressure, like you can either try to create something which hey you're either going to make something great happen or take a sack or you're going to force the ball into coverage because you're under pressure and you know what's happening or you're going to throw it away like taking that sack that's kind of the only route where you're going to potentially have a good side of it as uh, on in that also potential outcome if you can't avoid the rusher so it's a complicated complicated question i think it does show that pressure rates and sacks aren't you know are probably more of a qb stat than offensive line but just realize again it's just uh, one piece of the puzzle for us I don't know. I think he really needs to go more Eli Manning and throw flailing passes <laughs> when he's about to get sacked or go full Jake Plummer and just switch it to the left hand. <laughs> There's a name. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James Connor is the next guy up on this list, Ian, and he didn't come up for any of our other guests this week. So where were you at with James Connor heading into 2020? So I was looking, he made my, my guys call him, unfortunately, but uh, I was, I was fairly reasonable about it. Uh, he was going as the RB 19 when I wrote, and I, I basically said, give me Connor ahead of Chris Carson, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette. So, you know, Chris Carson, no, we should have had uh, him ahead of Connor there, but the other guys, I think that's fair. And the issue with him between uh, Carson and Connor, I mean, I just don't think I put quite enough in uh, the talent disparity there and, you know, the eye tests and all that and breaking tackles and things that good NFL football football players do because as i said before in fantasy you know opportunity is the only thing well a lot of times but not always and this was one of these cases where we had you know an aging running back with and with uh, let's face it true injury prone concerns i mean i had a uh, dr uh, edmund porus with a uh, fantasy points he does great stuff had him on the pod before the year and you know he's one of these guys where he really thinks that we overuse the term injury prone like more than almost any other thing we say in fantasy football because a lot of times it is just random uh random you know bad luck and all that but james connor as a cancer survivor as we heard in you know every single broadcast for like three straight years he is someone that apparently does have you know just higher possibilities for getting re-injured not being quite as strong and i think just based on what we saw in 2019 it wasn't that hard to kind of come to that conclusion. So he was one of these guys where, okay, like at RB19, it was a decent value, and he did average 15.7 touches. He was doing okay over the first two weeks. We had the Mike Tomlin featured runner guy quote. Like, I understand the value there, but I think it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, instead of taking a stud at wide receiver, I got too caught up in looking at, you know, hey, here's this running back that could be getting 15 to 20 touches that's available a little bit further down the draft. Like, that's great, but, you know, why not get the 100-plus target wide receiver? that we know is still a stud at that point so uh, i think it's a good lesson to not always you know I'm, be more of a tier ranking guy than an adp guy because you're going to be in these best ball drafts where you know you see the same guy falling round after round eventually you're like well i guess he's a value at this point i gotta take him but sometimes as we can see you know james connor and other examples over the years you know maybe that just isn't someone you want on your team to begin with 
Yeah, I think just passing on running backs in general in that range, you know, three <laughs> rounds, three, four, five was kind of the play in drafts last summer. As you mentioned, Ian, you know, opportunity is king in fantasy, but opportunity and talent is, you know, very intertwined. You need to be talented to get opportunity. If you look at Connor's like PFF grades and all that stuff, 2018 was really his only strong season. So I don't know if that was a fluke or if all the injuries just caught, caught up to him. But even in 2019, you know, he didn't fare well in some of those advanced metrics. So we probably should have put some more weight into that when, you know, projecting him for 2020. With Connor, though, the the one goofy thing that almost makes it, it makes you wonder whether he was really a miss is that he was going fine until the Steelers suddenly decided to stop giving him the ball. Right around midseason, they just decided – that running the ball was not the thing. And from week nine on, Roethlisberger was averaging 45 pass attempts per game. He was averaging six yards per pass attempt, and yet they never shifted things back. I mean, through week eight, Connor was doing fine in terms of points per game, and then he just sucked from there on. Now, we go into every season knowing that there might be some factors that we can't foresee, and that, you know, there's risks and even if you can't say this is exactly why he would fail, there are still guys that, that can let you down. So we know the risk with James Conner. We know there is risk, and we could factor that in, whatever it ends up being. But some of this is definitely on uh, Mike Tomlin and Randy Feekner. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you would have gone in before the season and told everyone, hey, just so you know, James Conner is playing 13 games this year. I don't think that, they, you know, he would have been being drafted as lowly as he was. Same thing with Evan Ingram, you know, with the Giants, just one of the biggest busts in terms of, hey, we figured he'd be injured. He didn't. Why is this guy not producing like we thought he could? So, yeah, I mean, again, it was not bad at all for James Conner during the first seven, eight weeks. Disastrous uh, week one campaign. Looked like Benny Snell might just be the better <laughs> running back, but he did come on strong after that. And then Pittsburgh just decided to hell with run the ball or even pretending to be able to run the ball so yeah again I mean look I, I like I don't necessarily look back at my process with all these and say oh wow Ian like you were a freaking idiot uh with this but you know just we always got to you know try to refine things look at the process and you know I, I Connor isn't old or anything but I do see myself becoming more of an ageist uh just kind of being a little more picky with the talent we're talking about uh David Johnson was someone who you know didn't completely bust but I was also probably a little higher on that I needed to be but running backs in particular we see it again and again and again i did a study last year looking at like when's kind of the leap years at every position you know, how long are players usually in the league i know age is uh, probably the better factor to go with but with running backs we see you know in that first you know three to four years of their career overwhelming majority kind of comes in that first uh, spot on their rookie contracts after we see them you know go on the second team or second contract there's an exception here or there but by and large you know we just don't see the same level of production, wide receivers, quarterbacks, as I think, Jared, you said earlier, like we do kind of see uh, some up and downs and guys can come back even later in their career, tight end as well. But running back, you know, it's a unique position in the NFL landscape, obviously one of the smallest career lengths, I guess you could say, uh, compared to our position. So we got to treat it differently. And because of that, you know, in the future, I'm going to try to get, uh, you know, some studs, some guys I'm not worried about their backs and their rickety knees and, you know, worry about that. Let's get some uh, running backs with opportunity and a chance to make, uh, you know, a hell of a lot more with it than uh, James Conner was able to do in 2020. I think one other takeaway too from Conner that can apply to other players is to watch guys, and we've mentioned it in, in some other shows, watch guys who climb in ADP during draft season because I love James Conner early on when he was in round four, sometimes even snuck into early round five. Round three was still okay, but then by just before the season, in tournament drafts, he was going solidly in the end of round two. Mm -hmm. And he was definitely an uneasy pick at that point. And I think that liking James Conner was more a matter of saying, look at this group that he's part of here 
and I like him among these guys. Now, if you chase that guy up another round and a half, and all of a sudden you're you're treating him as your guy, and you're passing on, you know, Allen Robinson or whoever your chosen wide receiver is at that level, that's something different, and maybe something to just watch as you're going through the draft season, not necessarily plant your flag and say this is my guy, and I'm taking him wherever I have to take. Yeah, I probably got a little too much into a robust RB, trying to really come out of those first three rounds with three RBs. And yeah, you know, last year the sweet spot was uh, really, you know, getting those two early uh, RBs and then probably going wide receiver elsewhere. So yeah, don't uh, reach, you know, on roster construction if it's not a player that you think uh, is worthy of being up there in that tier for sure. Henry Ruggs is the next guy on the list. Also didn't show up on anybody else's list for this week. So this will be an interesting one. Was a prospect that had issues for a lot of fantasy folks in terms of projecting strong NFL production. But similar to to Clyde Edwards-Elair with Kansas City, he landed it with the Raiders in an offense as the first wide receiver off the board that presented immediate tremendous opportunity. Tell us um, how you handled Henry Ruggs heading into 2020. Yeah, I was talking down about, uh, you know, rookie evaluation during February and stuff. But maybe if I had uh, done a little bit more, I wouldn't have made this mistake. So, you know, just hearing about that 2020 class and we saw the returns. I mean, truly just a special group of wide receivers. And to see Ruggs be the first wide receiver drafted, go to an offense with, you know, more available wide receiver opportunity than just about anywhere else. Yeah, you know, I I fell into it. And there were some injuries to Ruggs early in the season. And I think some stuff that was a little bit out of his control. I mean, seeing Nelson Aguilar just emerge as the the legit number one wide receiver in Vegas. I mean, it's I don't even want to take away anything from Aguilar. He was fantastic last season. People still want to use that dropping baby meme every time, you know, his name comes up. The guy's been a legit great wide receiver for at least the past, uh, you know, six, seven months. Give him uh, some credit for that. But with Ruggs, I mean, I, I think I paid a little too much attention to past coaching tendencies, which is something we always got to battle, you know, with uh, offensive coordinators and head coaches moving around every offseason. But basically, we had seen Jared Cook and Darren Waller in 2018 2019 lead this Raiders offense and targets but with the Buccaneers, I mean, Gruden's number one wide receiver had averaged 133 targets per season. We had Joey Galloway, Keenan McCardell, all these guys, you know, that maybe we remember, but some of these, uh, some of these new millennial kids uh, won't won't uh, hear, hear about quite as much. And I say this as a millennial myself, so don't, <laughs> don't don't be hating everybody. But basically, put a little too much stock into something that was 10 years ago. And hey, it didn't always not work. I mean, I was in on Adam Thielen uh, for a big reason because Gary Kubiak's number one wide receiver over the years balled out. So I'm not saying coaching tendencies. Uh, you know, can't help you. But in this case, I mean, he had Darren Waller, who was number one wide receiver, number one receiver on the Raiders in 2019, because Darren Waller is really freaking good. So me worrying about, you know, why is Jason Witten with the Raiders? You know, is he going to take away from Waller? I don't think it should have been that hard to see that Waller was going to emerge as the number one guy, even though, you know, a decade before Gruden had been featuring uh, some wide receivers a little bit more than he was doing at this point. And then also, you know, we can go into the fit with Derek Carr, not being a downfield guy. We did see Ruggs actually push Carr out of his comfort zone, you know, when he came back for that Chiefs game for the next like eight, nine weeks. Carr was actually atop the league, or at least, you know, in the top five or so in terms of deep ball rate, kind of tailed off at the end of the year and kind of became more of that check down artist that, that we've uh, grown the like no and hate, I guess would be the right uh, verbiage over the years. But yeah, so, you know, Ruggs, again, I don't think anyone drafted Henry Ruggs, you know, in round 10 or 11. It's like, oh, damn, if I just hit that one pick, uh, you know, maybe the fantasy championship would be here right now. But uh, in, in a rookie class, I mean, you know, if, it was, if I would have hit on Justin Jefferson or one of these other, uh, you know, just stud rookies instead of Ruggs, and I know big uh, debate kind of last August was almost for a lot of people, including me, Ruggs or Jalen Rager. And the answer was just no. So uh, r- rookie wide receivers, as great as they are, you know, I think we should be 
hesitant sometimes and you know, expecting too much immediately. We've seen more than double the amount of, you know, top 24 rookie widers. We've seen more than got. There's been more than double the amount of rookie running backs to ball out and be top 24 performers as rookies and then the wide receiver position. So, you know, they work out. We got another great class on the way, and that's fine. But, you know, I'm just going to be a little more careful about assuming, uh, you know, that one particular rookie is so much better than the others when we haven't seen any of them in the offense. And, uh, you know, it's just a situation where it might just be a tough first year because it usually is for guys at that position. So, you know, Henry Ruggs, I think he could be okay moving forward. I don't know if his situation is going to be better next year in terms of targets particularly if Aguilar is back but you know particularly in uh you know 2021 whether it's Jamar Chase or whoever uh, ends up, you know, being there, you know, I might have my rankings, uh, you know, early in the season, but I'm going to try to be a lot less, uh, you know, stubborn with it. Yeah, we'll see how this year's rookies are, are valued in redraft. I, I think we might see him overvalued after, you know, what the 2020 rookie class. I mean, it, it, it's another great class. I mean, Chase, Devontae Smith, those guys are seem like they're ready to contribute right away. Um, we'll see where they end up going. With Ruggs, I was in a strange spot because I did not like him first consensus long-term dynasty value. But I was sort of with you being, I was a bit higher than consensus on him for 2020 just because I thought the draft capital alone that the Raiders invested in him would pretty much guarantee him a big role in that passing game. The, the fact that he saw just 43 targets in 13 games, that, that's that's pretty damning to me. He didn't fare well in the PFF stuff. He was 76th in yards per route run among 99 qualifying receivers. So I don't know. I, I feel like my long-term evaluation of him might have been correct. He might just, you know, not, not be a first-round caliber wide receiver. Yeah, how the hell did Josh Jacobs have more targets than Henry Ruggs? Like that, that is just not. If if you had told us that, you know, in August, like, hey, Josh Jacobs got more targets than Henry Ruggs, like Jacobs would have been like the RB two or something at that point. But yeah, man, I mean, it's just it's just rough, and they're not using them obviously the way we would like. I mean, the yards per route run are rough, but you look at the yards per target, yards per reception, those are where they want to be. I think the film, you know, looked solid enough from him. You know, I haven't gone back specifically and watched just him recently, but you know, he's a playmaker. But you know, was he potentially the worst uh, Bama? wide receiver on that team maybe i still think he's good maybe he's more of a field stretcher a hollywood brown type than you know yeah. a true number one wide receiver that we were hoping he could be but you know anyone with that type of speed i think is still going to be good for nfl offenses you know even like guys like john ross i'm never going to be giving up on uh totally so unfor- unfortunate that we need to already be having these you know is rugs more of a john ross guy or uh you know hollywood brown or deshaun jackson like you know certainly a wide range of outcomes for these guys or anyone else and unfortunately rugs is looking like he's on the you know lower uh, range of things but not giving up just yet unfortunately looking like he'll probably be more of a valuable real life and fancy asset though in 2021 i mean we were all laughing at the raiders the past couple years when they took cleland farrell at four overall and then henry ruggs is the first wide receiver off the board last year so i think one takeaway is that we can keep giggling at the player evaluation (laughs) coming out of vegas I think is it just Gruden like saying, "All right, Mayock, like you do t- rounds two through seven. I'm taking round one, and then he's just, like just watching the national championship and going from there." Like I don't know, just one year after another with these guys. And hey, you know, Gruden, we can make all the jokes we want about him, uh, you know, player personnel wise, because there are plenty to be made. Believe me, but in terms of a play calling uh, standpoint, the dude's been fantastic since coming in. And you know, that was a spot where I missed on at least the first year. And I know, like, not like they made playoff runs or had you know the best offense in the league or anything like that, but 
But if you just look in terms of just raw like play callers, I think Gruden's, you know, in anyone's top 10 and maybe even top five, particularly when you consider, you know, some of the splits they've had first 15 plays versus when Derek Carr decides to start checking the ball down more and more. So, yeah, uh, you know, I really thought uh, his number one receiver would be Henry Ruggs. Instead, it was Darren Waller who had himself a hell of a year. So maybe just maybe in uh, 2021, we can get two guys with over 100 targets, uh, particularly if Aguilar leaves. But otherwise, it's going to be uh, probably another rough season for Ruggs. Yeah, I, I think fantasy-wise, this too is one of those misses that you can take because it was a double-digit round pick. And I mean, nobody had Justin Jefferson climbing out of the 50s at wide receiver to top 10 by the end of the season. So Henry Ruggs was the guy that had more obvious opportunity. We, we hit September with Justin Jefferson not even starting for the Vikings and in this run-heavy offense. So, I mean, obviously at this point, it's like, oh, that was stupid to take Henry Ruggs over Justin Jefferson. But, you know, the next time it could wind up not being stupid and we could get somebody who finishes 26th among wideouts and we'll have no Justin Jefferson in that class. So to me, the Henry Ruggs miss is a miss. I'm okay with taking as long as I'm not moving that guy too high up the board, just because opportunity seems to be there. Yeah, exactly. And again, I mean, we are going to see good rookie wide receivers. And I mean, even with, uh, you know, Jefferson and even T Higgins, like hopefully uh, it won't take more than a couple of weeks for them to kind of emerge in the starting lineup. But yeah, it just it's just a matter of not being too overly confident in a group of players that, again, we have never seen take an NFL snap. And we look at the last like three drafts, you know, with Herbert, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, like these quarterbacks that we have seen be bona fide fantasy stars, if not, you know, in Josh Allen's case, like a legit NFL star that when the team drafted them in the first, you know, 10 picks they were you know widely mocked by everyone including like guys that do this full time and you know are very smart and have been great at player uh you know just trying to figure out player evaluation but we still see these quarterbacks particularly in 2020 2021 when you know it seems like they're having more success than ever just coming out of of a school and you know we we just need to be uh not so quick to uh write them off based on what we've seen them do in college Last guy on the list is Chris Herndon. He gained some brief mention earlier in this series. Where were you at with uh, Chris Herndon heading into 2020? Like, if you saw me in a fantasy football draft, I was taking him in round 15 every single time. I mean, look, I was far too late round tight end, and I feel like, at least I do this every year, where, you know, it's April, May, you're looking through the league, and you're like, oh, damn, I'm counting 18 or 20 tight ends I could talk myself <laughs> into being pretty solid, and then, you know, week three or four of the season comes around, and you're like, well, if I don't have Kelsey, Kill was hurt, or uh, Darren Waller, things aren't looking so hot. So, certainly fell a little bit too much in the late round tight end, more because I was that confident in Chris Herndon. So, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry to all my best ball teams out there with the Herndon, Jay Sternberger, Blake Jarwin, you know, triple entendre that just <laughs> went straight to hell before too long. But with Herndon, I mean, look, it was one of these things where I remember talking to uh, Matthew Friedman, who's a really great dynasty mind over at uh, Fantasy Labs and Action Network. And I was pitching Chris Herndon. And I was like, look, only rookie tight ends average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Millifant, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and Chris Herndon. And I was like, how can you not be on this guy, Matt? And his point was, where, well, you know, if you look at that list and you're going to say which one of those guys maybe doesn't become a great tight end, Chris Herndon is probably going to be that guy. And it looks like he has become that guy, unfortunately. But I don't know, man. This is like Henry Ruggs. I mean, Herndon, man, I could not go on a podcast in August without screaming this dude's name. So I, I understand I've gotten some flack about it, and deservedly so. But again, like we were talking about with Ruggs, I don't think anyone's looking back at their draft saying, man, Herndon, round 15. If I had just used that pick a little bit better, you know, things would have gone differently for the squad. But 
stay away from Adam Gase players. I, I to the I, I'm gonna be drafting Herndon again this year, man. I really think the guy is a stud. I brought up that stat, and I mean, just looking at the way he was doing it as a rookie, and we even saw in the last two weeks of 2020 at least he was putting up some numbers as well. But it was one of those things where like he wasn't he was being used almost full time, but. He wasn't running routes full time. They kept using him as a blocker. And it was like, what are you doing? Because every single report out of training camp, like Charles McDonald, who's at four verts on Twitter, one of the best reporters in the game. The dude could not stop talking about Herndon every single day. Why And why not? All they have is Jameson Crowder there. And you can say Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims. Like both those guys were hurt for like the first month of the season. There is no reason for Herndon not to be peppered with targets in this wide open offense. It just didn't work out. So, I mean, you know, I had my – quote from Gase saying, you know, he's our starting tight end, gives us a lot of flexibility, complimenting his hands and pass blocking the same breath. I mean, Adam Gase couldn't say a nice thing about their $52 million running back for like three years. And the guy's like talking up Chris Herndon every chance he gets in the offseason. So it was, a, it was a wide open offense. Again, we you know with tight end, it's very rare to find one that can feasibly be their team's uh, number one or number two uh, receiver pass game option. I think Herndon, you know, certainly fit that bill last year. And, hey, maybe he will uh, even in 2021, depending on how things uh, shake out. But, yeah, I, I would say it's more of a lesson at the tight end position as a whole where, hey, get one of those top three guys, particularly if, uh, you know, you're in a tight end premium league and one of those things that's rewarding it because we're seeing Kelsey and Waller and Kittle when he's healthy. Just, you know, the, the discrepancy between them and the other tight ends is so much larger than pretty much any other uh, pool. Like it's, you know, those guys are kind of the pass catching RBs or the rushing quarterbacks of, uh, you know, their position just in terms of, even if they don't have, you know, a dual threat talent like those guys, like we just don't see tight ends getting the 140, 150 plus targets in other offenses. So really try to get one of those guys in the first couple rounds if you can and then we can take a shot and chris Herndon in the 15th and we'll be necessarily making and breaking the team and please keep adam gase out of the league now that he has mercifully been fired and did you like how he shot you a middle finger there at the end of the season by giving chris herndon two killer weeks to end the year as he knew he was going out the door i have uh, been doing this all season bitches you guys saw that that uh, Penn State tweet where they were like, we've had a player play in every Super Bowl except five. And uh, I, I sent a tweet that was like, most fantasy points were given among tight ends in 2020 with a little asterisk. And it was like, Darren Waller, Chris Herndon. It was like, you know, week 16 and 17 for who's counting. <laughs> I'm still in on Herndon. I've done one draft this offseason. I have one Chris Herndon share. So I'm Let's go. 100% Let's exposure. Go. <laughs> he's still going to be cheap. I still think he's good. Adam Gase was the problem. Gase is gone. Herndon bounces back in, in 2021. He's going outside the top 20 at this point, maybe outside the top 24. So you could get him at like Jimmy Graham prices now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come back on the show next year. And, you know, my my new uh, reasoning for 2020, Chris Herndon, was just getting that muscle memory, you know, get used to drafting him because in 2021, that's going to be truly when this dude breaks out. But, yeah, again, it's not, you know, with some of these guys, and I think, you know, we talk about dudes sucking or being shut down. Like, it's not like, I mean, okay, the guy dropped the ball or two throughout the year. But, you know, I'm pulling up it's game log now. It's not like we had these like eight target games where, you know, he just wasn't catching anything. The dude went like six catches, 37 yards in week one, and then had one game until week 17 where he had more than four targets. Like they just wouldn't throw him the ball. And when you're not being thrown the ball, you're not going to be able to catch the ball. So you, we can talk about, you know, players of talent are the ones that earn those opportunities. You know, I'm not saying, uh, you know, someone like Deontay Johnson is bad, you know, because of the drops or anything like that. But at the same time, uh, you know, Chris Herndon. Trust the guy. We, we've seen how many players just ball out as soon as Adam Case leaves the picture. Chris Herndon would certainly not be uh, the first, and I think uh, he has the talent to warrant uh, 100% exposure, even as uh, we get these best ball drafts uh, up more, <laughs> uh, up, up, up more in the quantity of this one.
Right. I think normal logic does not apply when talking about Adam Gase football team. So I still think Herndon is talented, even though he didn't get the opportunity last season. He is the lead fantasy analyst for Pro Football Focus. He's the host of the PFF Fantasy Podcast, and he's always just days away from tweeting video compilations of your favorite player at iHeartIt's on Twitter. Ian, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, dude. This was fun. Uh, you know, looking forward to hopefully another Draft Sharks uh, best ball invitational. We'll see if I make the cup. But yeah, I'll have to get you guys on the PFF pod sometime. Appreciate the time. I expect to see you back here with the green mirror shades after Chris Herndon season. <laughs> I love those things. Sounds good. <laughs> you can, of course, also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShalfDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Ian Hart, it's Jared Smola. And the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse. And thanks so much for swimming with us.